My name is Sydney, and I'm visiting from out of town. <laughs> Thank you guys for doing what you do to minister to various people. I talked to Jeff Danes. Um, Jeff and his wife and family attend here with us. Moved here several months ago to, to take care of his mom. His mom passed away a couple of days ago. And as I talked with, with Jeff on the phone, uh, he went on and on about your care for their family, specifically the Deshanes. And uh, thank you for caring. Yesterday, I got a phone, phone call from Eric about just a tragedy in their family. Uh, Eric, Eric's cousin's husband, uh, Jim Singer, who is 29 years old, passed away unexpectedly yesterday. And so if you keep their family um, in your prayers, that would be very much appreciated. But that was the story that I kept hearing. And I, and I, I, love, I love to see how you guys connect in various places and how when you're off on vacation, you'll find each other and you will drive to be with one another. That totally amazes me. Uh, uh, sometimes you want to run and get away from people, but I watch you guys, how y'all are off and you connect with one another. This morning at 7 o'clock, my kids were dressed. We didn't say anything about getting dressed. They were All three of them were dressed and sitting in the living room waiting to come to church this morning because they wanted to see people. I love being a part of a church like that. And so thank you guys for being a big part of the family. Diane said it. She said, I love to come in the door because I always get hugs. And may that always be a representation of who we are uh, as a body of believers. While um, a couple of announcements, number one, there are about 20 um, backpacks that are on that Christmas tree. I'd love to see those gone today because uh, next week the, the items are going to be purchased and, and our, our children uh, here in our environments will be placed, putting those together next Sunday. So if you've not yet got a, um, have taken a backpack and purchased one, if you can, if you'd like to, listen, man, there's no guilt, but if you feel like that's something you'd like to participate in, we're going to be building the backpacks that we have off of that tree next Sunday. So if you've not yet gotten one, would like to, please get one. Uh, souls for Souls, those shoes will be going to, to unreached areas where people don't have shoes. That's not a big deal to us. Everybody has several pair of shoes, uh, I would say probably. Um, but there are countries and places where people don't have shoes, and it is a great blessing. Also, there's an opportunity to give to Alabama. Excited about the team that's going to Alabama next Sunday. You guys are going to have a great trip. And then Meredith told me to remind you this morning, we've not said anything about it, it being summer and everybody being in and out and all over the place. But uh, in August the 14th, we're going to be moving up our children in children's environments. We're going to be in need of some new workers, those that are, that are willing to, to come in and love on our kids. It uh, is a part of those environments to, to volunteer one time uh, a month or a, a, a season or whatever it may be. You'll be trained. You'll have to have background checks. Uh, but if you are, want to participate in that, if you'll just see me, I'll give your name and information over to Meredith. But um, we are so blessed. Steve, do you enjoy doing what you do when you're over there with the kids? It's a great time, isn't it? And our kids are learning. This isn't just a babysitting time. This is a learning time. And for the teachers that are working, those that are volunteering, I hear this from them all the time. I'm learning myself. 
Um, and so, but if you're willing to be a part of that time and to, to volunteer, if you'll just see me, I'll make sure that you get your name. You will be trained. Again, background checks will take place, but we'll be moving our children up in August um, as we get ready. There's so many things that are taking place here in the next couple of months. You're going to be invited to be a part of what's called the city. It's our new program that's going to connect all of us. Brian's been working diligently on that. There's just lots of things that are happening. New website's going to be coming online in just a little bit. So just lots of things. Go and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Let's finish up um, what Paul was talking about. Um, I have listened to both sermons, Byron's sermon from a couple of weeks ago and Brian's, and we are very blessed. Thank you guys for filling in and being a part uh, of that time. Um, they did a great job. We're going to finish up the book of Galatians today as we see what Paul had to say as he finished out this book. But I want to say this. When we were in Washington, we had a chance to go to the fireworks in Washington, and uh, we took the kids to, to the National Archives and a couple places that they had not been and uh, Caleb especially is always just enamored by those things and he's looked and he had to have himself a you know one of the one of the uh, declarations that they you know the little uh, commemoration things that they put he had to have that and he he, he takes it all over the place uh, we drove by Arlington again and I was just reminded that freedom always comes with a price doesn't it see we sit in this room and many of us don't understand the blessing it is to be free and to live in freedom. But there's a price. I saw a child uh, at July 4th. He said, my freedom wasn't free. He was wearing a flag and a, and a sign. My freedom wasn't free. And our freedom in Christ wasn't free. There was a price that was paid so that we could live in freedom. And... Um, Paul has been talking to us through this passage to this, this book to say, listen, I want you to understand that your freedom in Christ doesn't come as a result of obedience to the law. That your freedom in Christ doesn't come as a result of you being circumcised, an outward expression. That your freedom in Christ doesn't come because you become Jewish or join the Jewish faith or convert to the Jewish faith, but your freedom in Christ comes because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid 2,000 years ago. For them, it would have been a few years back. And he said, I want you to understand that salvation doesn't come through those other things, but only through Jesus. And we've been singing about that today. Only through the cross. And so knowing Christ, we come to learn, knowing Christ brings freedom, Sharon, but with that freedom, there also comes a great responsibility. Now, some of us say that's the last thing I need in my life is another responsibility. I'm overloaded with responsibilities, and I don't need another responsibility. But I want you to hear this today is that when we understand our freedom in Christ and we understand the responsibility that we have to live for Christ, it makes life so much simpler. And not only does it make life so much simpler, but it gives us purpose in life. I want to go back and look today as we finish up this book and see what Paul has to say as he finishes out some words. Because I think it's very appropriate for us today. Because when we understand the priority of knowing God and making God known to other people, it helps us live life with purpose. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 like to see if you would read with me today. Galatians chapter 6, um, verse 6. Let's start out there. 
He said, those who were taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. I like that. That's a good verse. (laughs) Number seven, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. And just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those of the family of faith. Would you pray with me? Father, today, there is so much within these few passages of Scripture that we're going to talk about. Lord, would you reveal to each one of us here what we need to hear? For one person, it may be one thing. For another person, it may be something. But I pray today that, Holy Spirit, that you would be the teacher. Remove my words, my creative thoughts from this passage and what we'll discuss today. And, Lord, may it be only the Holy Spirit that speaks to us because you are the great teacher. May you convict our hearts. And may when we leave here today, may we be challenged to do something to live life different. That's what I pray in Christ's name. Amen. As believers in Christ, we have a responsibility. One of those responsibilities is to advance the gospel. When Jesus was getting ready uh, to depart this earth, there was a comment that he made to the disciples. Does anybody remember what it was? It was in Matthew chapter 28. He said to do what? To go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. So Jesus gave us a responsibility of advancing the gospel. And one of the ways that we do that is through giving, through financial resources. Now, we don't talk an awful lot about finances as a head heritage, and that's been very intentional, but I want you to understand this. We work off of a budget. Do you guys know what a budget is? We have a budget, a B-U-D-G-E-T. Is that how you spell it, Dan? We work off of a budget um, under the covering of the leadership team. And that budget allows us to do ministry. Up front, we talked about um, several different things because of reaching the people that we desire to reach, for us being able to minister to the people that we're ministering to. One of the decisions that we made up front that was probably very uncommon for those of you that have gone to church is not to take up an offering on Sunday mornings. Some people are like, well, that's just not Christian in nature. Listen, you don't want to discuss that with me after the things that I've experienced, read, heard, and come in contact with over the past few weeks. You don't want to discuss that with me. Do you know that George Mueller, who was a, um, who was a pastor um, overseas, that the way they used to collect money was to rent a pew? Did you know that? That was how they collected money. That was how they collected their offerings, was they rented a pew. And guess where the most expensive pews were? Up f- no, up front. <laughs> I guess that would make sense for some people. (laughs) They were up front. So guess who sat up front? The rich people. And guess who sat in the back? Those who didn't have anything. When George Mueller came in contact with this, he said, I cannot do this. They said, well, what in the world are you going to do? His wife said, how are we going to survive? We live off the tithes and the offerings of the people that come to church on Sunday by those that rent pews. And he said, well, we're just not going to do that. And we're not going to cater to the rich. He said, God didn't do that, and we're not going to do that. He said, we're just going to put a box in the back of the church, and people are going to give as they come in. I thought, thank you, Jesus. But that's one of the biggest issues in reaching people today is they say the church is just about what? 
money. All they want to talk about is money. But I do want to say this to you. I will not negotiate on this. The Bible has an awful lot to say about money. And it does it on specific on purpose. Because um, Jesus himself probably spoke about money more than he did any other subject. Not only about money, but about our possessions. And he did that because he knows that there's a connection between our heart and our, our wallets. He knows that. See, you can tell somebody what you believe. You can tell somebody what you think. But baby, put your money where your mouth is. You can take a look at somebody's accounts. You can take a look at somebody's checkbook. You can take a look at somebody, somebody's visa statement. And all of a sudden, you can find out truly where their priorities are. Doesn't take very much. So we can say that we love the Lord. We can say that, that, that uh, we have this deep love. But all you got to do is take a look at somebody's bank account. And it will paint for us a clear picture of where their priorities are. But one of the first things that Paul tells us about a responsibility here is this. And you might want to write this down. I think this is really helpful. Number one, as believers. Remember he was talking to the, to the believers there at Galatian, the churches at Galatia. Number one, we have a responsibility to utilize, share God's resources in such a way that we advance the kingdom of God. That we advance God's kingdom. That the kingdom of God is advanced. Look at what he says in verse 6. Those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things for them. In other words, those of us that are taught God's Word have a responsibility to support the advancement of God's Word. Publicly, the Williams and the Brocks want to say thank you to you because you support us in ministry. You guys give us the freedom to minister. Not to play around and to play games, but you guys support us so that we are, have the ability to, to minister in freedom. And, and if, you've, if you've never been there, it's an awful humbling position to be in a position where other people are responsible for taking care of you. I never got into ministry because I needed a job. I got into ministry because God called us out and set us apart and spoke to us. As a matter of fact, I wanted to run from ministry. And one of the big issues I had up front was, God, how in the world am I going to make a living? How am I going to support myself? How in the world will I be able to, to, to provide for a family? Um, and it's very humbling. I remember one time singing in a church when I was probably 17, 18 years old. And I was standing at the back door. And this senior adult lady took my hand. You know, they would send you to the back of the church to, to give a right hand of Christian fellowship with somebody. And so I'm standing at the back door, and this lady comes, and she hugs my neck, and she takes my hand, and she puts in my hand a $20 bill. I got so nervous. I, I took it. And so we're having this shoving match in the backside of the— and I'm trying to give it back to her. She's giving it to me. I'm giving it back to her, and she's giving it to me. And she looked at me, and she said this. She said, I didn't refuse your gift. Why would you refuse my gift? That was the first of many, many lessons. Because I think all of us have this little bit of pride within us that says we don't need people. But we have an opportunity as churches to advance the gospel. And one of the ways that we do that is through taking care of those who lead us. And you guys have been so, so gracious to us. See, when we first started Heritage, you need to understand this. It was zero, baby. It wasn't like we came into this thing with some great plan. God said, go plant a church. Brian just up and puts his house on the market, moves here, and we don't have anything. We have nothing. But before he ever got here, 
there were two homes that were offered for us out of God's resources that could be used for him to stay. And we thought, wow. See, God's got resources that are all over the place. And sometimes they're on the inside and sometimes they're on the outside. Do you know when we started Heritage, um, the unique, there's so many stories. I've got them journaled down. But there's so many stories of, of people that shared. When we first began Heritage, 90 to 95% of our income for Heritage came from the outside. For the running of things, for the taking care of things. Brian and Brooke and Meredith and I sat in the house and we wrote out a letter and we said, we want you to know this is what God's called us to do. And we sent out some letters to various people and all those finances came into Heritage. And at that time, Randy took, took them all and, and, uh, and we set up our first budget. But to start off with, about 90% of the, the, the tithes and offerings that, that started Heritage came from the outside, not from the inside. But the neat thing has been over the past three and a half years, there's been a switching. You know, there's still some people from the outside that give to Heritage on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a regular basis, Dottie tells me. The neat thing is about that is switched. It's gone from 1090 to 9010. That's great. And one of the ways that we advance the gospel is through our tithes and offerings. We advance the gospel through our finances. I remember sitting at the table with our kids. At that time, they would have probably been six, four, and two. And we were sitting at the table and things would come in. A family member would call us or send us a gift card and we would sit and we would lay it on the table and we would give God the thanks and say, thank you, Lord, for providing the resources. Do you know that the finances that we give these shoes, they're resources? Do you know those backpacks, they're resources? Why is it just to throw away so that we can say we did something? No, it's to open up doors of opportunity so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just to do something. These are to open doors. These are what I call door-opening ministries. To, because when God's people act as God's people should, it opens up doors of ministry to give us favor so that we have an opportunity to share the gospel and love. It's not to say, look at us and look what we've done. We're a part of a small group of people that are providing backpacks. But we have an opportunity, a responsibility to share the resources. Um, the early church shared their resources go back and read acts they shared their resources they prayed together and they gathered together and they loved on one another and they they prayed and they studied god's word together and they shared the lord's supper together and if you remember the person that spent time with paul up front after he made a decision for the lord barnabas was was known as joseph and joseph went and sold his possessions to give to the poor so that they would assist those that were believers there within that church. And, there was be, and the early church could have been described with a word that we would know today as called koinonia, which meant to have in common, to have fellowship, to have in common. And they engaged in what we would know today as communism, not communism, but communism. Communism is where the government takes your resources and they do whatever they want to do with it, right, Tom? Communism is where um, it's a system or an organization by which goods are held in common. Communism is where God's people are stirred by the love of God and the Spirit of God to recognize that they have more resources than what they need. And then what they do is they share those resources. Not so that they can get praise. Not so that say, you can say, look at me. But they share those resources so that the body of Christ can be encouraged as well as those outside the body of Christ can come to know Christ. 
Now, this is totally counter the culture of what we live today because today we say it's all about me, right? It's all about me and it's all about my possessions. I read a statistic. 2%, there are 2 billion hungry people in the world today. It would take 2% of the world's grain harvest to feed those hungry people and take care of it. We have the resources to feed all the hungry people. You know, there are 145, 146, 147 million orphans, depending on which, which statistic you look at. In America alone, based on statistics, they would tell you that we have somewhere between 238 to 240 million people that call themselves Christ followers in America. According to statistics, in America alone, if those of us who were believers were to adopt an orphan child, we have the resources to be able to take care of every orphan child in the world inside of America alone. See, the problem isn't resources. The problem is distribution. Those of us that are believers letting go of resources. Resources. The problem isn't resources. The problem is distribution. So a question I have for you today is this. If the advancement of the gospel, if the advancement of the kingdom was based on your giving, how far would we get? It's pretty quiet. If the advancement of the gospel was based on your gifts, your resources that you share, that you utilize, with intentionality to advance the gospel, how far would the, would the gospel go? Think about your home. Think about your neighborhood. Think about your city or your community. Think about the state. Think about the world. How far would the, would the gospel be advanced? Second thing I want to say to you is this. We will harvest what we plant. Individually, we'll harvest what we plant. Corporately, as a, as a body, we will harvest what we plant. Look at what he says in verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Now, I've got several different types of fruit trees in the backyard. You name it, I've probably got it. I planted those trees because I want to harvest that type of fruit. That's the reason. I got peaches, apples, figs, nectarines, nectarplums, pecans. I planted those trees because I have an intent of harvesting the fruit from those trees. And Paul says you will harvest what you plant. If you don't plant anything, you're not going to harvest anything. If I wouldn't have decided 10 years ago to plant some pear trees, right now I wouldn't have pears in my backyard. I have fewer pears than what I should be because the coons have been in there getting them out. But we will reap what you so the prophet Malachi said this in chapter 3 as they were talking about the rebuilding of the temple. God promises blessings to those who faithfully give, give. And God says those who refuse to give are like robbing him. They struggled to give then and we struggle to give today. And you know why? Number one, fear. If I give it to God, then there might not be enough left for me. If I give to God, there may not be enough left for me. And what we need to understand up front is the reality is it's not mine to start off with. It's His. And whatever we give, God always restores. And He restores plus. And He restores. If He's not going to restore it here on earth, one day He'll restore it in heaven. 
The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, which moth and, and, uh, and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, which moth and rust don't destroy, and thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And the challenge for us, I think, as believers is to constantly press through the desire of the temporary to see the eternal. That's important for us, to be able to press through that which is temporary, which rewards us now, to see the benefit of investing in eternal things. And so fear, that's one of the reasons we might struggle to give. The second thing is flesh. I want what I want, and I want it now. Look at what Paul says in verse 8. Look at the attitude. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, nature will harvest decay and death from, what is, from that sinful nature. In other words, when we live by the flesh, our selfishness, we will harvest rotten fruit. When you want to live to satisfy the sinful nature, what does he say? You will harvest decay and death. Byron, a couple of weeks ago, had talked about and gave a list of some things of the um, of the fruits of the sinful nature. And this is what he said, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, uh, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. And if that's what you want to live by, if that's what you want to plant, guess what you're going to harvest? That's what you're going to harvest. You're going to harvest rotten fruit. See, you think that you may get away with something, you don't get away with it. Because once you plant something, guess what happens? That seed will at some point in time grow. See, have you ever said this? Oh, just one time. It won't hurt anything. Whatever we plant will at some point in time come to harvest. You may have seen that in your children. Whatever we plant at some point in time and what Paul said, listen, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. But there's a contrast. Look at what he says in verse 8, continue. Though, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Not just eternal life, but quality of life in this life. So if your heart's desire is to please the Lord with what God has entrusted you, we learn that our giving of our time, of our resources, and of our finances just isn't an expenditure. But what it is, that's an investment. It's an eternal investment with an unbelievable return. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you want to turn there, if not, I'll just share this with you. It's just a few chapters or a few, uh, few books over. 2 Corinthians, Paul made this statement, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, when he was talking to the church there at Corinth. He said this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You each must decide in your own heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So the encouragement here is to plant what? A generous crop. Because when you plant a generous, generous crop, what do you get? A great return. And Paul says this, man, listen, when you give, give with a smile. Give with a smile. Don't give out of pressure. 
Don't give out of pressure. The last thing that we should do is, is, is give out of pressure. Our giving is an expression of worship. I don't want ever anybody to feel guilted into giving. It's the wrong motive. It's the wrong attitude. Forget it. I don't want you to feel that way. I don't want you to feel shamed into giving. You know, I can, uh, in my lifetime, I have noticed this. I've seen people, when they do something they shouldn't do, when they feel bad about something they've done, they have a tendency to give more. Now, why is that? Because they think they can undo that which what they've done. It didn't do any good, does it? It didn't do any good at all. Um, don't ever, ever give out of shame or pressure because it isn't at the heart of God. He wants us to give because of our love for Him and our trust. He wants us to give so that we can advance the gospel. But God also knows that what, what we give, that He has a way of multiplying and blessing. It's amazing how God takes something small and how He can do something so unbelievable with it. Turn to Luke chapter 9 with me for a second. I was thinking about this the other day and I thought, wow, this really ties in very well. Um, Luke chapter 9 In verse, verse 10, the story is told when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And he says, and I'll read it to you. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything that they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them towards the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them, and he taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples, make note of that, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Are you expecting us to go in and buy food for this whole crowd? For there are about 5,000 men here. Jesus said, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So all the people sat down and Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, giving the bread to fish to the disciples so they can distribute to the people. How many disciples would he have given bread to and fish? 12? 12 people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Who was the blessing for? Was it to feed the 5,000, or was it to teach these disciples about obedience to the Father and about how He multiplies what we bring to Him and what we commit to Him? When we're obedient to God, He has a way of multiplying that which we think is small and doing unbelievable things with it. So the system works like this. God allows us the blessing of advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. We do that by the giving of our time, our talents, and our treasures. And as we give, God restores our resources to us. And as other people come into the kingdom, they now begin to share the responsibility of advancing the gospel. And the gospel is advanced as we live as God intended us to live. And God doesn't say, I don't love you if you don't give. God says, I love you, period. Do you hear that? God doesn't say, I don't love you if you don't give. God says, I love you, period. God says simply, I love you. And when we love Him, it affects how we use our resources. 
And it's one of our responsibilities is to use our resources in such a way, to utilize them in such a way, in such a manner that we advance the kingdom of God. And so my question is, are you utilizing your resources in such a way to advance the kingdom of God? Look at verse 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, when I plant a seed in the ground, it would be great if I had Jack and the Beanstalk and I walk out the next day and there's a vine and there's, there's beans, but it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work at all like that, does it, Wes? It takes time. It takes time. And Paul said, listen, don't get tired of doing what is good. It takes time for the harvest to come. The promise is we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Or translated, don't lose heart in some translations. And the Greek term, don't lose heart, references a woman in labor. Now, when Meredith said it was time to go to the hospital, baby, it was time to go to the hospital. She was fixing to give birth in the next couple hours. Emily, you remember that? When Meredith said it was time, baby, we weren't going to be waiting. It was just, it was, we were going to have a baby in the next four hours. But I had a cousin's wife who was in labor for like 24 hours. <gasps> I'm thinking she literally pulled her hair out of her head in the midst of the, of the labor. Pulled her hair out. And what he was saying here is that term, don't lose heart. Um, what it is is encouragement in the middle of the suffering. In the middle of those times, whether you're questioning, did, 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 are you going to reap a harvest? In those times when you want to give up, Paul said, listen. There's a baby on the way. It's coming. Hold tight. Hold on. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Because at the right time, you will reap a harvest. Um, some of you may be wanting to give up on a child. It's turned away from the Lord. The translation would be don't give up. Some of you may want to give up on, on, on a friend that's turned away from the Lord. The, the, the translation would be don't give up. Some of us may want to give up on something else, in the, on a marriage, and the, and the translation would be don't, don't give up. Keep doing the right thing. Keep planting the right seeds. And then look at what he says in verse 10. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those of the family of faith. That word good in the Greek is a word that's called agathos, and it means to do good for the benefit of others. Not to do good so that it can benefit you, but to do good so that it can be a benefit to someone else, even if it's at the expense of yourself. To do good to someone else, not so that it benefits you. Why? So that others can see Christ more clearly in us. See, the funny thing is the real world on the outside knows what you're up to. They know whether or not you really care about them. They can see through our foolishness as churches. So many times we don't practice what I call intentional uh, persistence. We will reach out to somebody and minister to someone as long as they do for us what we want them to do. Are you with me? As long as you'll come to church with me, as long as you'll do what I want you to do, as long as you'll make a decision for the Lord, as long as you'll give, as long as you'll go, start going to church every Sunday. But all of a sudden, when they don't do what we want them to do, we turn around and we walk the other way. And what he says here is, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those of the family of faith. Matthew, Jesus said this, 
in Matthew chapter 5, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise our Father in heaven. Not to praise us, but they will praise our Heavenly Father. That our good deeds will not bring attention to us, but they will point people towards Christ. And in that process, we have to sometimes not give up. Because in due time, you will reap a harvest. It takes time. And remember, Paul is speaking these words to the Galatian believers there as he's ending up his story. And then look at how he finishes up in verse 11 through 18. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that, that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about it and claim you as their disciple. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether or not we've been circumcised or not. What counts is that whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things. For I bear on my body the scars that show that I belong to Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, uh, be with your spirit. Amen. I can imagine Paul writing these last words and saying, give me that pen. There's probably a guy that's scribing out some words, been scribing this for Paul. And Paul said, listen, give me the pen. Let me write this down. This is so important to me. And this is what he says. I want you to understand who the people are that you have been listening to, who, the real, who they really are, what their characteristics are. Number one, he says, I want you to understand they're not really interested in you. They only want to glorify themselves and they want to be the center of attention. The only reason they wanted to see people converted was so that they could brag about it down at the local synagogue. How many you got? What you running? What's your budget? How many buildings you got? They didn't care about the people. They just cared about themselves. Paul said, I want you to see that. The second thing he said, I want you to understand they're cowards. He didn't want to talk, they didn't want to talk about the cross of Christ. Because to the Jews it was offensive. To the Gentiles it was foolish. And he didn't want to talk just about the cross of Christ that only Christ can save. But they added all this other stuff. Well, listen, it's not just Jesus dying on the cross, but it's these other things over here. They didn't want to talk about the cross of Christ. But Paul said, listen, I can only boast of the cross of Christ. It was in Acts chapter 4. It says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And what distinguishes Christianity from every other belief system is that our salvation isn't based on what we do, but what he did. That's it. There is nothing else. The third thing that Paul said, I want you to understand that there are a bunch of hypocrites. The Judaizers, the guys that you've been listening to that have been filling your itching ears with what they want to hear, they're nothing more than a bunch of hypocrites because they themselves don't hold on to what they're teaching you. They themselves don't follow the Mosaic law. They didn't and they couldn't. And so you've got in these six chapters of Galatians, Paul talking about Jesus more than 40 times because he understood that Jesus was the center of everything. He was the center of the story. Jesus was the one who set us free. 
Verse 14, look at what it says. And as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. He was saying that my interest in the world has died and with that, the world's interest in me has died. The world says the one with the most toys wins. It's not what Paul said. It isn't about the toys, and it's not about the possessions, and it's not about the positions, and it's not about the money you got in the bank, but it's whether or not you know Jesus. See, the world always is driving us for another fix. Get another book, read another book. Get another thing, try a new fad. Somebody's always trying to sell us on something. But Paul said, listen, Jesus is what makes us a new creation. Jesus makes us a new creation. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past. Behold, all things comes. And it's only Jesus that gives us peace and mercy. When we trust him and we follow his principles, we will find peace and forgiveness of our sins. When Jesus was on earth, he walked with the people. He talked with the people. He prayed with the people. He assembled with them. Eventually, he would suffer and he would die on a cross. He would come back to life again, and then he would sin to sin at the right hand of the Father to intercede on our behalf. But one day, our Savior's coming back. That's what the Bible teaches. One day, Troy, he's coming back, and he's going to get us. One day, he's going to come back. But in the meantime, this is the question. What was God's plan to advance the gospel? What was God's plan to advance the gospel when he left? He told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. You. And you know what? The disciples were faithful. And not only were they faithful, there were some people behind them that were faithful. And there were some people behind them that were faithful. And some people behind them that were faithful. Who's going to share it? Who will be the people in here that will be faithful to share the gospel and advance the kingdom of God? Not only through your time, through your treasures, resources. Because the only way that they will hear is whether or not we are faithful to obey and plant the seeds of faith here. I want to um, read this, this little fable, and then we're done. I thought this was very fitting. Sheila says this a lot of times. She says, I only got so much time. So much time. I read this and we close. Unfavorable winds blow the ship off course, and when they do, the sailors spot an uncharted islands, uncharted islands. They see half a dozen mounds rising out of the blue sea waters. The captain orders the men to drop anchor and goes ashore. He's a robust man with a barreled chest and full, of, full beard and curious soul. On the first island, he sees nothing but sadness. Unfed children, tribes in conflict, no farming, no food development, no treatment for the sick, no schools, just simply needy people. The second and following islands reveal more of the same. The captain sighs at what he sees. There is no life for these people, but what can he do? Then at last he steps onto the largest of islands. The people are healthy. 
they're well fed. There's irrigation systems to nourish their fields. There are roads that connect the villages. The children seem to have bright eyes and strong bodies. The captain asked the chief for an explanation. How has this island moved so far ahead of the others that we've seen? The chief, who is smaller than the captain, but every bit as equal in confidence, gives a quick response. Father Benjamin, he educated us. He taught us about agriculture. He talked to us about health. He built schools, clinics, dug wells. He told us about Jesus. The captain said, well, can you take me to see him? The chief nods and signals for two tribesmen to join him. They guide the captain over a jungle ridge to a simple expansive medical clinic. It is equipped with clean beds and staffed with trained caretakers. They show the captain the shelves of medicine and introduce him to the staff. The captain, through and though impressed, sees nothing of Father Benjamin, and he repeats his request again. I'd like to see Father Benjamin. Can you take me to where he lives? The natives look puzzled. They confer among themselves, and after several minutes, the chief invites, follow us to the other side of the island. They walk along the shoreline until they reach a series of fish ponds, canals connecting the ponds to the ocean, and as the tide rises, the fish pass from the ocean into the ponds. Then the islanders lower the canal gates and trap the fish for harvest. Again, the captain is amazed. He meets fishermen and workers, gatekeepers and netcasters, but he sees nothing of this man called Father Benjamin. He wonders if he's making himself clear. I don't see Father Benjamin. Please take me to where he is. The trio talks alone again. After some discussion, the chief offers, let's go up to the mountain. They led the captain up a steep, narrow path, and after many twists and turns, the path deposited them in front of a grass-roofed chapel. The voice of the chief is soft and earnest. He taught us about God. He escorts the captain inside, and he shows him an altar and a large wooden cross and several rows of benches and a Bible. Is this where Father Benjamin lives, the captain asked. The men nod and smile. Well, let me talk to him. All of a sudden, their faces grow very serious. That would be impossible. Why? Well, he died very many years ago. The bewildered captain stared at the men. I asked you to see him, and you showed me a clinic, fish farms, and this chapel. Yet you said nothing of his death. You didn't ask about his death, the chief, the chief explained. You asked me to see where he lives, and so we showed you. And so we showed you. Wow. There are going to be some faith stories. There are going to be some stories one day that are told as a response of our faithfulness or lack of faithfulness. The question is what story will be told? Individually, where are you at? What story will be told? What story will be told? Are you using your resources to advance the kingdom of God? If not, why? Why? If you don't know Jesus, it's tough, isn't it, Tom? But all of a sudden, when you know Jesus, it goes from being just an outlay of finances, it goes from to being an investment, an investment in eternity. Thank you guys for who you are as heritage. For the every time that there's a need, you guys stand up. And every time that there's an opportunity, you guys give. Um, that's exciting for us to see.
It's exciting for us to be a part of, and I look forward to the days ahead and the stories that will be told as a result of our faithfulness. Would you bow your heads with me today as we close out? Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the words of Paul and how he encouraged us over this past several weeks as we walk through the book of Galatians. There is no, there's no other salvation that's available except for that that comes through Jesus Christ. And if there's someone here today that's never professed Christ, maybe they've participated in religious rituals and, and, and various activities, but God, they've never come to a place that they've trusted you. Even today, may would they even be willing to make that decision to say, Jesus, today I want to step out in faith. And Father, today I want to say yes to you. If they're here today, I just pray that after our time, that Lord, they may come to me and say today, I want to trust Christ. If there are people here that have trusted Christ but have never followed through in believers' baptism, Lord, um, maybe they would come to me and say, I want to take that next step of faith and I want to be baptized. I want everybody to know that I've committed my life to live for Christ. So if there are people here like that today, Lord, I pray, I pray that they would come and say, I want to follow through. I want to be faithful. I want others to know that I'm a Christ follower. This is what I know that every one of us in this place are at different places on the journey of faith. Wherever we are, Father, may we constantly be looking ahead to where you want us to be, not where we are today. Father, how will we, how will we continue to take steps of faith that will bring us into a closer intimacy with you? Not just doing more church, but learning how to be the church. Thank you for this body of faith, Father, that's learning to love and to cherish one another, to share our resources. And Lord, today I'm praying for those souls for souls, and I'm praying for those backpacks. And I'm praying, Father, um, excited about to hear the stories from Poland and, and also from Mike about his visit to South Dakota. I'm looking forward to Nicaragua for next summer. Father, how you're using us, uh, not just to, to do more church, but Father, how to advance the gospel. May that be a priority for us as a church. Not just to keep safe people happy, Father, but to advance the gospel within our realm of influence. That's, an, that's a responsibility that we have as individuals, but it's also a corporate responsibility that we have. Father, to go to make disciples, to baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Your commands to us are very clear. May we be faithful in that. I want to be like Father Benjamin. One day that they're telling the story and they're saying he's not here, but this is how he lived. And this is what he left. He left behind a heritage of faith. May we be reminded of that. Father, send us out these doors to make a difference. We're excited. Father, may we live differently because we are differently because we're just pilgrims on this land passing through. Father, thank you for heritage. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for their love. In Jesus' name, amen.